Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm Meredith Bell, your host, and I am committed to bringing you guests who will both inspire and challenge you in your own journey. And if you enjoy my show, please be sure to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by my company, Strong for Performance, or excuse me, Performance Support Systems. One of our products is Strong for Performance. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people communicate with each other at work. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I'm really excited to have with me as my guest, Tony Martinetti. Tony, welcome to my show. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here, Meredith. This is great. Well, Tony is has got such a wonderful story, and we'll get into the details of that. First, Tony, I want to introduce you to my listeners. Tony is the founder and chief inspiration officer, love that title, at Inspired Purpose Coaching. And I think, Tony, each one of those words is worth us exploring when we get into our conversation because I know you have carefully chosen them. His mission is to elevate leaders and equip them with the tools to navigate through change and to unlock their true potential. He loves guiding people to find clarity in their lives so they are energized, fully present, and unstoppable. He has 25 years of business and management experience, including in the fields of life sciences and high tech. And Tony is the host of a fabulous podcast that I highly recommend you subscribe to called The Virtual Campfire. And he has these amazing conversations with people. I'm Honored to say I have been one of his guests, but there are many others as well. He's also the author of a new book called Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. Love that title, Tony, and I'm looking forward to really going deeper with you into the meaning behind that and and your purpose in writing it. But first, uh, within the book, there was something you said that just grabbed me right away. You were talking about your experience, you know, in the corporate world, and you were sitting in this meeting, and that was like your aha moment. And one of your big takeaways was, you said, to change the room, I had to leave the room. And I thought that was so provocative. And I wanted to explore that with you first thing. What was it about your experience in the corporate world that led up to that moment? And how has it directed what you've done ever since? Wow. Well, I just got to first start before I answer the question to say, thank you for an amazing intro. It was really beautiful. I mean, I'm like, I want to meet this person. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's me. Um, So no, thank you so much. Um, And 
you know, really to answer your question, I think that um, what led up to that moment is to realize that if I wanted to, to see a different way to, to create an impact, I had to get out of the environment that shaped it. And I'd spent so long, you know, trying to conform into the world that I was in. And we, we had this amazing ability as individuals to adapt to our environments, no matter what they are, they could be toxic environments. And I realized that in that, up until that moment that I had adapted to the environment that I was living in and I needed to get out of that environment to create a different way to change it. And that's what I meant by that. Um, it was, uh, that, that saying came from two different angles. It was that I needed to get out of the environment so I could be the person who could create the change. But also I personally knew that in order for me to change myself, I needed to remove myself um, from who I was being in that moment. And when I moved myself out of that room, I, it allowed me to really reflect on who I was, period. And I hadn't at that, at that moment. I always say that, that that was my first truly honest conversation that I had with myself, which sounds odd, but it's true. We don't have a lot of conversations with ourselves that are really honest about who we are and why we're here. And so I'm curious, what was it that you discovered in having that conversation with yourself? What are some of the insights you gained that then helped you realize what it was you really wanted to do? Yeah. So I learned about myself is that I'm not, I was putting myself in a box for many years to say that I am, you know, the finance person. I am this person who does these certain things. And I realized that that's limiting to put myself in that box, that I can be whatever I really want to be. I am the one who's, you know, the author of the story. And when I started to think in that way and see that the path ahead of me is completely um, in my control. Um, and if I limit myself to that, you know, only seeing it in one way, then I could, that's what I would have. That's the situation that I would, that would play out. And so when I stopped playing into that narrative and decided to author my story on my own terms and realize that the way that I create that is by digging deeper into who, what emotions were I not, that I weren't, that I wasn't facing, sorry, my English is not so great today, but what, what emotions I wasn't facing and what past stories I wasn't really, you know, looking into that I needed to embrace. And that's where the inner work started to create the, the true story of who I was. I wasn't looking into the creative past that I had before I became the finance person who I was for most of my life. I wasn't looking at the, the parts of me that I was suppressing. And I wanted to unleash a lot of that and let it all free. You know, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the clients you work with today. Most mm. of them are inside organizations and some of them are experiencing some of the same kinds of struggles that you had. Only I'm guessing a lot of them don't have that self-awareness at this point. They are in pain, but may not realize why. Talk a little bit about your coaching methodology, because I know you call it um, 
you know, inside, I think you said inside out coaching. Talk yeah. a little bit about that and why you feel that's such an important approach to take when you're working with clients. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people come to me with is it's always on the surface that the, the, the things that they initially are saying, this is the, what I'm struggling with. These are the things that I th- think I need, or the things that I'm struggling that I need to overcome. And what I, I often start them thinking about is what's really underneath the surface. And what are the things that have always been coming up in their lives, the recurring patterns, the things that have been showing up that have been challenging throughout their journey. That's why I love going into stories and going back into time. Think of it as time travel. And that's one of the things, the exercises we go through is to really start thinking, well, tell me about your journey to getting here. What are the things you've overcome? What are the the accomplishments? And what are the wounds and and little, um, uh, the, the challenge you've overcome that have really created who you are today? Often it's a lot like this, um, what I do on my show, the virtual campfire, it's uncovering the, um, the themes of the person's life that have led them to this point and allowing them to face that past, connecting with it, seeing the strengths and the things that they have to deal with so that they can start there and then see what in the future do they want to create. What do they want to create from all the things they've done so far? And when they start to dig deep into that story and understand, wow, I've got a lot that I haven't really looked at. I haven't really taken an inventory of these things. It, it, it gives them the sense that there's so much more possibilities that they didn't even see. And it's ironic. It's almost like paradoxical. When you think about this, if I want to go forward, I got to look backwards. What? That's true. Think about uh, someone you've helped do that with, because I'm thinking the process you're describing is so important. And yet uh, someone would have to feel pretty safe with you to open up and trust you to be honest, because isn't, I'm just thinking of in general, we want to look good to someone else, including the person who's coaching us, right? It's hard to, to really peel back the layers and admit to fears or to traumas maybe that we've experienced, what kind of questions do you ask or what's your approach to really make it comfortable or at least safe for people to feel like they can open up to you about their past? I love this question because there's an element of this, which is it's not just about the questions and some of it has to do with creating the moments of silence and the moments of just, you know, listening and letting them share from a place of what's showing up in this very moment. When they come into the space, I ask them questions like, well, tell me a bit about what's, you know, what's real for you, what's happening for you. Give me a story about what your past is about. And as they're telling this, it's listening intently and showing them that I really care and connect, creating that connection with them by listening, not just with my ears, but with my eyes with my heart. And it's a, it's a full body exercise. And when I do that, I'm showing them that my interest is so much more than just listening to, you know, for me to be able to say the next word, but for them to, to make sure that they are being heard fully. And with that, there comes the element of, okay, now 
I can you know, reflect back on you, what I'm hearing and let you know what I'm seeing that you may not be seeing. Um, and through that, this dialogue starts to open up and they say like, wow, this person's seeing something in me that I hadn't even recognized. And I'm the one who says the words, the, you know, the person who's the, on the other side of the table, they're the ones speaking, but they're not really seeing all the layers of what they're communicating. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, I love what you're saying because I think that's where real human connection comes in. And for mm-hmm. my listeners, what I would love for them to be thinking about is how can you be more present with others the way Tony just described He's present with his clients because I love the fact that you talked about listening with your heart, because as you were saying it, I could feel that that's what you do. And I'm sure that your clients sense that too. I know I felt it from you when you and I had the conversation on your podcast. It's to me, one of your strengths as a coach, because you can't really go very deep with someone if they're going to keep it superficial and, and not be willing to risk telling you the truth about themselves, because that's where to me, you can do the most powerful work. Right. And the other thing I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you is thinking about people who are in a leadership role, how can they emulate what you're talking about with the people who work with them on their teams And I was curious if you work with clients to help them become more effective listeners, to become more effective with the people that they work with. Do you find this hard or easy for them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to do immediately off the bat. That you, if you haven't been doing it for years, if you've been struggling to connect with people. What I do is I get them in the place by, first of all, showing an example, you know, being a person who is guiding them through this process by listening to them intently, but also sharing with them, you know, what, um, what's possible for them, what they can create, what they can do with others. I often share the model. And I think this is something you you'll, you'll recognize is conversational intelligence, which Judith Glazier did this amazing job of like really modeling the way through these three different levels of listening of conversations, I should say, which is really like there's level one, which is like transactional. And oftentimes we stay there a lot of times as as humans, we're just, you know, the high, how are you's, but when you get to level two, it's more relational and goes a little bit more like, I want something from you. So I say what I want and you say what you want. But when you get to that third level, it's like transcendental listening and talking that really sees that you are transforming because of the fact that you, the two of you are in conversation at a level that is deeper than you've ever gone before, or than you've intended to really start this dialogue. And what I try to help people to see is just that, is that if you have, if you're having challenges connecting with people, you know, try and see if you can keep on going deeper and deeper into the conversation by sharing a bit about who you are, who, what you want, um, to tell them and be as vulnerable and open as you can be. And in return, you'll get the same thing in return, the more you do it for others. Mm-hmm. I literally had this conversation just to kind of share a little bit of um, this context with somebody who said, like, I had shared something personal with someone at work and I didn't know how it would land. And in return, that person 
shared something that was on the same level. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you're courageous enough to share something of yourself. It comes back to you. What you put out is what you get back. Mm-hmm. I love that because too often we're held back by our own stories and own, own beliefs and thoughts about what somebody might think of me. If I am yeah. willing to reveal some flaw or some limitation that I feel I've had or a mistake that I've made in the past. And yet how um, empowering it is to someone else to see mm-hmm. their leader, especially being willing to own up and admit, you know, one of the other things you talk in your book that I wanted to get into with you is this idea of fulfillment. And so explain what your definition of fulfillment is and what are some of the issues you see in the workplace around leaders not being fulfilled? Yeah. I mean, there's multiple definitions about fulfillment, but it's really a, it's a way to navigate. Um, it's finding that blissful balance between, you know, seeking after something, but also having it already. Um, and that might be a slightly different definition of how I say it in the book, but it's the reason why I say it's a way of navigating is because you can't be looking for fulfillment somewhere off in the future and, and be hoping that someday I will find fulfillment someday. I will be happy. Um, you have to start with this place of, I am, I'm happy now. And that's a place, that's a way that I can navigate forward. And in coming from that place allows me to attract in that fulfillment, find fulfillment in this moment, even in the struggle, even in the moments that are challenging, because that ultimately is, well, life has its challenges and that's okay. And what helps, it's what help us, helps us move forward into um, growing into the next level of who we're going to be. Well, you're talking about, um, you know, you've said people can have fulfillment right now. And so you yeah. just alluded to that, but for someone who is thinking fulfillment is something I achieve in the future or that, you know, it's a place I get to, what would you suggest they do to get more in touch with a sense of, or a feeling of fulfillment right now, no matter what they might be going through. Yeah. Well, it, I think of it this way. When you think about fulfillment in the, in the future, like, you know, let's say that there is a, um, something you want to, to, you want the feeling of what it's like to accomplish a goal, like let's call it running a marathon. Right. And you want to come from this place of like, well, that will be fulfilling for me when I finish that marathon. Um, what you can do now to, to connect with that is to start to be the person who does that um, and to connect with what are the things that someone who has accomplished a marathon would do? What would they, how would they act? How would they be? And that would connect with some of the behaviors that would put you in alignment with what you want. So for example, Maybe it starts with, well, what, is a, what does a marathon runner do? They don't eat junk food. So maybe it starts with me eating a little healthier. They don't, um, they run, they run consistently and um, they don't let that stop them by, you know, getting in the process of, okay, well, tomorrow's I'm tired. Well, guess what? I'm a marathon runner. Marathon runners still get up and they run because they love it. 
And that's the mindset that I'm getting myself into is to control my, to get into this place of thinking like I am already this person who I want to be in the future. So when you have a leader that you're working with, let's say, who is, um, well, let's back up. What are some of the causes that you see behind leaders feeling unfulfilled? And how do you help them work through some of those issues so that they can get to the other side of it and feel much better about themselves and and what they are, in fact, uh, doing? So oftentimes this, um, their, the unfulfillment is coming from this place of comparison to other people, comparison to where they think they should be at this point, and they're not. So there's this sense that I'm not there yet. So how can I rest? How can I see, you know, be at ease because I'm not where, I, where everyone expects me to be? So um, what I try to get them to connect with is like, well, look, where have you, where have you come to? What is the, the gain that you've, you've accomplished? Don't look at the gap of how far you have to go, but where have you come to mm. appreciate and celebrate where you are, have gratitude for that. And then also make sure you're connected to the right goals for you. Like, what do you want and why do you want it? Um, make sure success is defined on your terms, not on what social media and the rest of the world thinks that you should want. And so I think that's the most important thing. If I were to leave any, you know, bigger picture goal here, a lot of the people who I talk to, they have this fixation on what other people think success looks like. And I think, unfortunately, that's not good. We need to have our own definition of success and really kind of plant that as our way to to navigate. And that might mean finding that balance with, well, for me, success is spending time with my, my kids and have connection with um, my community and being able to, you know, climb mountains and do things that I really enjoy, but also having a career that I, that I can admire and really find fulfillment in too. So if you want all of those things, then, you know, maybe there's a, the way that you're currently driving towards, maybe it's you're singularly focused in your career only. You won't find fulfillment because you're not putting your efforts in the right places. It's only focus. And how do you help someone that you're coaching where they are perceiving that what fulfills them is not what the organization is requiring of them? And so they're constantly feeling this disconnect or this pressure uh, to be something or someone they're not. Yeah. Two things come to mind on this. And one of them is, make sure that you're not making that up. That's not a story you're making up for yourself. Because I know there's a lot of people who they make up this idea that what is required of me is this because they think that everyone thinks that's what's required. Um, So it's always helpful to make sure you have good communication with the people who are ahead of you, who are your bosses, your managers, your supervisors, to really get clear on like, you know, what is expected? What are the things that are most important? What are the things that are required for me to move forward? Or what is the business need? Um, Because you can't be 100% all the time. Um, So that's one thing. And the other thing is to not be afraid to have courageous conversations, the conversations that require you to say, look, 
I love my job and I, and I would continue to do this job, but here's, here's where I'm at right now. This is what I'd like to be able to spend a little more time on and, or here's what I'd like to grow with um, and be okay with the consequences. And if that means that they say, well, sorry, buddy, you know, this is, you know, the end of the road for you, you know, we're going to have to let you go. Maybe that was not the right company for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really encouraging people to take risks, to be yeah. honest, right? And speak Absolutely. what's going on. As I was listening to you here, to you describe the first part, I was thinking, you know, we just make so many assumptions about what others, what we think others want from us without first checking it out. And so often we just have it wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll share a little incident, you know, a little story from my, my past is like, I remember feeling like the martyr many times in my, in my career, you know, working the late hours. I mean, I'd work until two, three o'clock in the morning and then get up and go to work, uh, like, you know, get up at five thirty, six o'clock. And that's not, that's not sustainable. I would do that day in and day out because the, ex- the expectation I thought was that this is what was needed to get to that next level, to get to that promotion. And little did I know, it really wasn't. It was just something that I had made up, a story I'd made up about what was needed to get to the, to the job done. If I had paused and had the, the moment to take away and just say, wait a minute, what I'm doing is only gonna make me slow down or not be as effective. If I put more recharge into my day, if I create more time, then actually I could be more powerful, make better decisions, be more effective. Um, and in essence, I could do the job more better. And I don't think anyone's telling me, oh, you better just get it done. Like this is just the way it is, you know, keep on trugging on. I think I made a lot of those stories up and a lot of it, it led to burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a small little story about, you know, some of the early days of my career. But, you know, I think it's common for yes. so many situations, whether it's at home, at work, boss, coworker, it doesn't matter the relationship. We can work up these scripts, these conversations in our head yep. that, you know, are just based on faulty thinking. And yeah. if we would simply be honest with others and ask questions to find out how they really feel or think about a specific situation, we might be pleasantly surprised that we've been going, causing needless pain for ourselves. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing, oh, go ahead. That's why I, you know, I talk about conversations all the time. I mean, everything happens through conversation and that's true, but it's not just the average conversation. You have to be willing to have the ones that are going to change the game for you. The ones that really are going to, you know, um, be able to unlock that next level for you, which is to say, um, you know, Hey, I need a little help. I need someone to tell me, am I thinking about this wrong? Uh And it seems like you're, it's, it seems very vulnerable and it seems very much like, Oh, I'm putting up the white flag and giving up, but no, it actually shows a lot of courage and it shows that you are somebody who gets that you can't sustain that pattern. Yes. Such an important point that it's actually seen as a strength when we ask for help instead of struggling on our own and probably not performing as well as we could have 
had we asked for and gotten the help we needed. Well, I know at least in the last 18 months, and of course, before that, you have um, seen clients, you know, go through unbelievable changes. And that's one of your strengths, you know, as someone who Mm -hmm. works in organizations is helping them deal with changes. What are some of the things that you might share as far as tips with my listeners on navigating when they're faced with a change that's unexpected, that was not of their choosing, what are some things Mm -hmm. they could do that could help them get through that easier? Yeah. Well, first of all, recognize that change is something that happens all the time. And the more we can build the, um, the process of how to, the process of how to process change, um, it's really going to help you as you move forward. And so I think of like the cycles of, you know, first recognize that the change is happening. Um, don't bottle up the feelings, emotions, you know, feel them, feel the feelings, as they say, um, allow yourself to go through the, the grieving process of whatever's going, going, you know, whatever's happening to you. Um, but then start to realize that, um, you can't go back to the past and whatever's happening is now happening. So start to detach from the past of what's happening and move forward and think, what is this new thing opening up for me? And how can I create something positive out of this situation? And how can I build the strengths right now in this moment to connect to that new future? It's like that there's a liminal space between what was and what will be. And in that space is where the biggest challenge is because you feel almost listless, like you have no connection to anything. And in that time, you'll feel a little bit at odds with what to do. What you do is just feel into it, let go of the detachment, I mean, the attachment to the past and start to kind of grasp into what can I connect to in the future that's going to give me some new things to grow into. And one of the things I often do with companies is I also get them thinking about what are the patterns that I'm stuck in? You know, if I'm constantly feeling like there's this, okay, I'm in this middle place and I don't know the path forward. Um, I often have them pause and step away from what they're thinking about right now and expand their vision. So look at new possibilities. What am I seeing that's not being seen? And once I've expanded my vision and seen what's possible, what's on the horizon, what's on the periphery, like connect with something that really makes sense. Like it could be a new path and narrow your focus and execute on one thing. Um, one thing at a time, don't try to do too much. If you try to do too much, what happens is you then get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think part of the problem when people are in that place where it's like the future is so uncertain is there's an element of like, God, you know, I don't want to make the wrong choice. Well, I'm here to tell you that you can make a wrong choice and then it can, you can go, you can make another change after that and things will continue to, ch- to change. So don't feel like there's a, there's no change you're going to make. That's going to be, you know, final. You can always make another choice. Mm-hmm. So. That's so freeing too. Yeah. to think that, okay, it's not, uh, unless it's a true life or death situation, yes. which it rarely is in most cases, it's like, this seems like the best thing to do in the moment, mm. but I could change my mind 
and it's okay. And I think that's a key thing is people getting permission to not label themselves as wishy-washy if they feel like they need some time to consider, you know, different options and see. And, and what I'm kind of picking up from what you're saying, Tony, is not just you know, this logical process, but what feels right too? Do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, weighing between say intuition and logic? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm so glad you mentioned it because that's exactly a lot of the things that I was just leaning into is intuition. I mean, it's not just about, you know, um, a logical, what is the, you know, you've done all the detailed work, you've got all the facts and go make the decision. A lot of it comes into intuition, but intuition is based on experience. It's based on having done, gone through these changes multiple times and seen what seems to feel right. Um, you don't, you know, you build that muscle over time. And so um, having that feeling of this could be right. I don't have hundred percent certainty, but that's okay. You know, you, you, tr- you take a step and see what happens. You can do small bets, create some kind of an experiment to see what happens, you know, and then if it doesn't work out, have the comfort to know, that this is not permanent, mm-hmm. hopefully not permanent. And then you can make another bet and you can do another thing. And that's how intuition works. It's not about, you know, it's about taking my, you know, um, subconscious um, bets that say like, I have a feeling this is going to be the right path, but if it isn't, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels so, um, so much like it's more relaxed and not forced and pressured when you, when you take that approach and kind of see it as an experiment. Well, we're going to try this and just see how it works out and not feel, I think, and how do you help leaders? Cause I think where we can get hung up is we get our, our egos caught up in it and we judge ourselves as imperfect and not, you know, screwing up again, we start labeling and berating ourselves. How do you help leaders take a less judgmental, a more gentle, let's say, approach with themselves so they don't expend a lot of time and energy regretting something that they've done? Yeah, I mean, this. I think that having the compassion for ourselves is so important. I, I often talk about compassion and accountability, which I think is such an important term you know, holding themselves accountable to taking action, to moving forward and to have results for their people and for themselves, but also knowing that, you know, uh, I have to take care of myself. I got to make sure that I'm moving, you know, um, that I don't beat myself up for, you know, the things that go wrong because there'll always be a chance to learn from that and also be able to make another choice. You always have another crack at it. Um, and ultimately what I found is that, you know, first of all, come from a place of compassion, but also be willing to, um, to have that ability to drive people towards, you know, seeing this failure is just part of the process. These things happen. And, you know, if we adapt that mindset, the learning mindset, we can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the most important words for you, I know, because it's in the name of your company and your and the subtitle of your book is the word inspire. Yes. So talk about why you feel so deeply about that word. Why is it so important and how does it apply to leadership? 
Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned this because inspired is first of all, came from this idea that I've always inspiration was at the core of everything that I was doing in my life. Well, um, when I woke up, it really kind of shown, shown up in my life, but it was always in the early days of my life. I was an artist. I was always inspired by different ideas that were showing up in my life. And then when I started to connect with the coaching, I realized that it's what was missing in some of the leaders that I had seen who weren't really, you know, creating the environment that really brings people to life. And what I realized is that that's what I wanted to create in the type of leaders that will bring us forward into the next, you know, the next level into the, into move us forward. Inspiration is what people need and they need to do, they need to connect with that, not just from the external world, but also internally. And the way that they create that is by looking for those signs of the things that light them up and paying attention to it more. So I think inspiration is, is like, um, it's like a communication with your soul's purpose. And when you really pay attention to those things that light you up and not just let them pass by, but really connect with them, they're clues as to what you should do more of. And I think that's where um, for individuals and as leaders, the more you see that, the more you can grasp onto it and say, yes, this is what we should be doing more of, not just you know, connecting with the things that we would do that because that's how it always has been done. Or we do that because that's what makes money. Um, you know, you just, you don't stick to the patterns that you're stuck with. You actually do things that inspire you. And when I think about the work that I do, I often question on a day-to-day basis, if this isn't inspiring me any longer, you know, I have to change it up. I have to always be inspiring myself so that I continue to stay connected with my work and that I find pleasure in the work that I do, that it's a calling and not a job. Mm-hmm. That's great. And so for someone who wants to be a more effective leader, whether it's being a parent to their children or, mm-hmm. you know, leading a team at work, um, what, what does that look like? Give an example of what a leader could say or do that would be inspiring versus not. So we've kind yeah. of got a contrast between the two. Yeah, no, absolutely. So in being an inspired leader versus like someone who's just, you know, the command and control or more of a, you know, not inspired, um, you know, getting people together for a meeting and instead of like giving people the command to say like, okay, well, you know, let's get the budget reports done. Let's, you know, we need to get this, these results so that they're at this level or we need to kind of meet these deadlines and, um, you know, kind of just always be, be thinking about, you know, the why that is really driven by the business results. That's kind of like the ordinary business. It's what gets what we've had all along. But an inspired leader is really someone who says like, you know, let's start with where, why we're here. I mean, let's think of a biotech company. You know, you start with this feeling of, okay, well, I want to tell you a story before we get started you know, why are we here? I mean, we are doing this because at the center of all of this is there's this, this, this patient who's sitting there in, the, in, you know, who's been diagnosed with cancer and they're waiting for us and they're waiting for us to come up with a cure for that, for their cancer. And without us, without our efforts, without us showing up every day 
and doing what we do, we can't, this person's not going to have what they need to, to be able to live a full life, to get married, to, you know, to have that connection to their family. And what, you know, what we're doing every day makes a difference. It creates something that, uh, that has an impact on people's lives. And so what we're doing today, yeah, sure. It makes a difference in the bottom line. It makes, you know, it gives us all a paycheck, but ultimately none of that matters. What matters is what we do to drive this program forward. The impact we make on that person's life is all that matters. It all comes down to what does that patient need and how can we make that happen? Now let's get started. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is tying them to a greater purpose exactly. and helping them see how they fit into fulfilling exactly. the purpose of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can do that. With, it doesn't have to be just biotech. It could be any number of things. It could just getting people thinking about every day, you know, people use a product and that product has an impact on their lives in any number of ways. Um, and just, you know, thinking about business as a way to move people's, you know, to enrich their lives mm-hmm. and not just a place where people show up and happen to, you know, get paid. Mm-hmm. And that's what people don't want to just collect a paycheck. They want to have someone, a, a boss or a leader who says to them, like, what can I do for you today? Like, what can I do to help you to become a better human? You know, one of the things that I often talk about is that employee engagement is an old term that actually serves the employer. It does not serve the employee. What it serves the employee is employee enrichment. That employee comes to work and they feel like my company makes me better because I come here, not just financially, but as a human, I feel like I'm being enriched by coming here and showing up. Mm -hmm. I love that distinction. That's fabulous. Employee enrichment. That's a great, great term. Well, Tony, I want to give you a chance to just tell us a little bit about climbing the right mountain. You have a wonderful story at the opening of the book on uh, your first experience climbing a mountain. Yes. (laughs) And then later, what what you came to appreciate, just kind of summarize that real quick and explain why that title means a lot to you. Yeah, I love climbing mountains. Um, my next mountain, um, if all things go well, will be Kilimanjaro. And wow. uh, so I'm hoping that all comes together. And I literally was on the phone earlier today with somebody who's my climbing partner. So um, the the stories in the book, um, the, there's two stories. One of them has to do with a story as a teenager that um, climbing Mount Washington and, you know, ill-prepared very much. Um, didn't have all the gear we needed. And it was quite a, a harrowing event in the sense that we had to, we failed the, um, the climb. We didn't have everything we needed. Um, and what it came down to is, you know, you do have to think about the, you know, what you're doing. You have to, when you're climbing, you got to think about what you want as you're climbing. Um, don't just climb blindly. And also think about the gear that you want to have, the preparation, the partners, the people you want to have along with you, because you don't want to go alone. Um, I think we all know that climbing alone is not going to get you there. You need to, to embrace the people along your path who can help you. So I think that was one of the biggest things about that path. The, the first story, which was interesting. The second story was a completely different animal that was in Germany in the Alps. 
And in that story, we, I had um, a guide, this older gentleman, he was about 75 years old and he could climb the mountain twice in the time that we, you know, that we would do it once. And um, it was amazing to have this guide who really knew exactly what to do and how to get us there. And we had such an enjoyable time because we really connected and bonded on that journey. It's really beautiful. And it just, it really drove home the contrast of when you do prepare, when you have partners, when you think about the, the patience and the persistence you need to be able to go up that journey, it makes all the difference. So, yeah. And, and the benefit of having a guide who is, you know, there to support and, and help you. And I think that, you know, to me, one of the great takeaways with your book is, is causing us to each think about how can we be that kind of person yeah. for others? But of course, that means we have to do the work ourselves first. And that's where your book is so wonderful. And so as we kind of draw this to a close, I would love for you to share with folks how they can connect with you online, get a copy of your book, and learn more about the services you provide to organizations. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So first of all, the book is available on Amazon, Climbing the Right Mountain. And um, you can find me on my website, Climb. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, actually, that is a website. But inspiredpurposecoach.com is the, is the best place to find me. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn and what have you, all different social media. But the website's a good place to get started. And I'd be thrilled to um, connect with people and talk about you know, really having some, some conversations to get exploring about where you want to go, where, where you're stuck and where we can take you to the next level. That's great, Tony. And uh, you, my listeners, you know, just from hearing this conversation, what depth Tony has, he's such a compassionate, loving person who also has so much knowledge and wisdom from his years of experience. Tony, you're so special. And I appreciate so much the work you're doing with leaders, with individuals, within organizations to really make a difference, to help them climb the right mountain. And I'm glad you wrote this book to help others understand, especially those that aren't going to have the opportunity to work with you personally, what that means to climb the right mountain. You give them some great information and tools there. So thank you for being with me and my listeners today and the wonderful insights you shared. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are amazing. I love having, uh, spending time with you. So anytime with you is a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.